Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Faces and Finance podcast, powered by our good friends at ProsperOps. I'm your host, John Meyer. Now, the Faces and Finance podcast is about highlighting thought leaders in the cloud financial management space and insights on how they're making an impact not only within the community, but within their organization. Now, typically, we don't have a topic for the show. We're highlighting the thought leaders in the community. But our topic today is we're going to talk about AWS. FinOps and the tools that are built or building for FinOps. And before we get to that, how about we give our guests a chance to introduce themselves? Thanks, John. Uh, so my name is Rick Oaks. I lead cloud product management for AWS optimization tools. So that's compute optimizer, reservation recommendations, savings plan recommendations. Those products and tools are uh, something my team works on and, and works with our customers to make sure we're building the right thing. Rick, we've known each other for a while. Cost optimization is, if it, as a passion, is an understatement for you. Thanks, John. Uh, it, I think it's been 10 years I've been working on cloud optimization. So, I mean, I started at Microsoft, built the optimization program and tooling there inside IT. Worked on that for a lot of years to make the migrations and, and cloud adoption successful. Then I went to Turbo and I'm like, oh my gosh, I really want to build right sizing publicly because I really think the cloud industry needs this. I really think that right sizing is an important part of how to operate in the cloud environment. And spent four years there. You know the story. We worked together there for a little while. We uh, got acquired by IBM. Uh, Amazon called me up and they're like, hey, we need new, we need leadership here in the optimization space. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's go. And what, what a fun journey it's been. So 10 years I've been working on right sizing, recommendations, optimization, rate optimization, all of it. So it's an important uh, journey for me and a passion for me because it's a, it's a really cool combination of like efficiency and also social responsibility on spend. Like we're not wasting money. Like we're using good budgeting principles. We're not uh, burning up our planet using a bunch of wasted CPU cycles and things like that. So it, it is a passion. It's been fun because all of these different locations I've been able to really push and drive and uh, make progress on it. Before we talk about some of the tooling or the stuff that's being built by AWS to support FinOps, let's talk about cost optimization and how it relates to FinOps. Yeah, so optimization is a, a pretty big part of FinOps. I, I, I see it as kind of a more mature phase of FinOps because it's really tough to optimize objects, resources in your environment if you don't have them tagged, if you don't know who owns them, what are they doing, uh, what applications are running on the services, right? So you need like a tagging strategy, you need your account mapping strategy, you need to figure out like, how do you map business ownership and business units to your resources? All of that generally has to come before you're ready to optimize because you don't want to shut people's stuff off and, and make them mad and, and blow stuff up, right? So optimization tends to be more on the advanced side of FinOps in general as, you know, when we talk about crawl, walk, run, which I know you talked to a lot of your other guests about that, that maturity in optimization tends to be more of the run phase. We also want to see if there's opportunities to do optimization in a crawl phase too, though, because you shouldn't have to be fully mature in a FinOps practice to start saving money. Like we can do that faster earlier in the process, right? And so we're continuously thinking about how can we make optimization easier? What features and services can we build that help customers save money quickly? Um, 
I don't want people to have to do tons of spreadsheet math and science to figure out the discounts they need to buy or the sizings they need to right size and things like that. So it's important. Um, it's important for us to figure out how to do all that. Rick, we're at AWS reInvent right now, and there is so much being launched, so much coming out. But what was it, a month, six weeks ago that AWS announced that they're part of the FinOps Foundation? Yeah. What's your feelings on that? Oh, I'm so excited. Um, we've been working on this one for a while. We love the FinOps Foundation. We love what they do for the industry, how they define maturity and stages of different FinOps practices. Uh, it's also such a great opportunity for us to sit down with FinOps practitioners and experts with our customers in our customer companies, the companies that are building FinOps practices directly listen to the use cases they have, the challenges they have, and how we can help build uh, not only the products, but the uh, capabilities for them to be more successful in their FinOps practices. So this relationship between AWS and the FinOps Foundation is it's strategic for us. We've had a lot of fun doing it as well. Uh, it's a fun group of people that they're all passionate about helping further the industry of cloud cost management, FinOps, right? And that's a fun thing to work on together. I think FinOps really kind of brings together, it, it's a culture of implementation, but it brings the culture together of those who actually want to achieve, regardless of what hyperscale that they're working on, they want to achieve cost optimization, which is a part of FinOps. When anybody says cost optimization and FinOps in the same sentence, to me, cost optimization is under the umbrella of FinOps because ultimately you are going to do that if you do it correctly. Absolutely. Well, so I, I sort of think about maturity and FinOps in three phases, and I break it down to really simple statements, which is how much am I spending? What am I spending it on? And should I be spending that much on what I have? And so the first one is like visibility. The second one is allocation or understanding maybe chargeback or showback. And the third one is optimization. So those are like, if you wanted to distill down FinOps maturity into very, very simple, easy to uh, repeat steps, those are like the three questions we're trying to answer. So, I mean, most of my tools and the work that my team does is focused on the third question, obviously. But um, the, other, the first two are critical and important. And like my peer teams at AWS work on the visibility tools, Cost Explorer, Cur, some of those sorts of tools. So we are all in it together to make sure as customers do visibility, they can see the optimization data, the recommendations as well. And that when we do recommendations, you can see the cost data. So we all work on that together to make sure it is one seamless experience. Uh, so you'll see like some of the announcements we made this week, we consolidated like the billing console and the cost management console. So now it's one console. You no longer have to go back and forth between the two different consoles to figure out your bill versus the cost management UI. You so just solved problem one and two in the visibility, right? Visibility. I think one of the biggest things that you mentioned is the visibility on what you're spending on and how do I see that within the console without a degree in AWS cost management? Bills are complex. Uh, the number of line items in your bill, um, how do you do allocation when there are resources that are shared across multiple teams? You have EKS clusters, if you have ECS, if you have like e egress charges, right? Allocation is, is something that customers, uh, it's not easy. And reading a bill is not easy. 
And we continue to build new technology and capabilities to help customers uh, get better visibility directly in the console, right? So you don't have to go do spreadsheets and exports and custom dashboards and all that sort of stuff. We want the console experience to be great. And um, we, it, it's fun. It, it's fun launching those new features and experiences to help customers be able to do that directly in console without exports, right? Um, I, I was talking to another FinOps practitioner yesterday here at reInvent, and um, they were like, oh, what's, what's the one secret feature in all these features you launched? And I'm like, actually, you know what's really cool? We launched a new data export for the Cur. In that new data export, there is account name. So the Cur has never had the account name. What? Yeah. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, is serious. <laughs> How is that possible with all the account? How do you know that? Wait, wait. So how do you tie multi-count to it? So, so everybody's been merging the cur data with another data source that has account name to map the account number to the account name, and, and so that's kind of like it's an it's it's not fun, right? To have to have to merge your cur data to be able to see account name. So that's that's there now. You you now directly have account name in your cur exports if you're using the new cur 2.0. So that that's like my treasured hidden feature amidst all of the launches. Like if, you, if you're trying to like look at the CFM blog and, and read through all the launches that we had the last couple of days, which is tremendous and really fun. But the the little gem is account name. It's my favorite. And, and you know, I want to say that like my favorite launches, of course, are the ones that my team did. But that account name one is really cool. One of the launches, I don't know if... The, this sort of relates a little bit to cost management is when you would go in and you needed to change the region you were in. The regions were like, they did not have the location, US East one, two, three, like you were, you were looking at that and like, I know it as Ohio. I know it as Virginia. I don't know it as this or whatever. And yep. they, all they had to simply put in next to it was the text of the region. Yep. And that was huge. Like, I think everybody's at but I never knew that the account name was not in the cur. So now people had to take that, merge it with another thing, and which took longer for you to actually get and analyze your data, and it had to be trustworthy. Yeah, I think we just saved Merit's entire, you know, months of effort from here on out merging cur files. <laughs> I thought she would have been the first person to ask for this enhancement. Oh, well, <laughs> oh no, we've been working on it for a long time. Like we, like, we love listening to customers when they say, like, we want account name. Um, the problem is we can't um, go make changes to Cur very easily because there's a lot of companies that use the Cur and build tools on top of Cur. So we got to be really careful because so many of our customers and our partners rely on this data and the schema of the data and and how we publish it and the frequency and cadence and all this sort of stuff. So when we make these changes, it takes a, a little bit of time for us to make sure we're making changes that don't hurt, you know, process or product or things like that. So Cur 2.0 helps us with that a lot because you can now pick and choose which fields you want to export. You don't have to get the entire Cur file every single time. Now you can select actually the yeah, fields for exactly. it. I don't have to download. Like yeah. yeah, we love it. It's it's because, so like, now we can launch new fields in the Cur without people saying without breaking MSPs in the billing yeah. country. All everybody that's behind it doing so much yeah, data, exactly. you're not hurting the customer now. Now you're adding a field or two that they can select a download. You got it. Wow, these are it. actually huge changes, whether nobody realizes it yeah. or not. These changes that are taking place that you're doing really helps understand the data. I, I got to say, though, that those aren't my team's changes. Well, I, I got a shout out, though, like Roy Woolman, Zach Erdman, 
Anand Tripathi. These are the product managers that have been working on Her 2.0 and the exports for a long time. And uh, they've been doing some amazing stuff. So I'm so excited about it. And it's really helping us go faster and build more technology for our customers. It's easy for changes now to be implemented once these are in place. I know that in order to make a change within the curve, probably takes longer than six months because of everything behind it. And you have to make sure that all the partners are on board. Now, I want to talk about what you're building or what has been built and announced here at reInvent that you're excited about. You and I were talking offline, all this stuff, and I'm like, I got to get caught up on these things. What a better time. Absolutely. So uh, in the optimization space, we launched two big features or capabilities. We launched a brand new console page called the Cost Optimization Hub. This, this thing is awesome. This thing pulls all of your recommendations from all of the other products. It pulls the recommendations from Compute Optimizer. It pulls the recommendations from uh, Trusted Advisor, from Savings Plan recommendations, Reservation recommendations, all of that into a single UI. And then uh, what it does is you can now browse all of your recommendations for all of your accounts and regions, and you can filter them by tag, by region, by service type, by almost anything you can imagine. So now you can kind of look at all the recommendations and savings potential and you have a number in the middle of the screen that tells you how much savings you have potential. And then at the bottom of the screen, it tells you how, what percent of your total bill is the potential savings. So you can see if, you, if your recommendations add up to 80% of your bill or 20% of your bill, it'll tell you. And then so you can kind of KPI this or look at it over time and say, okay, 20% of my bill has recommendations to save. And then you can watch it month over month as your team implements recommendations or does an optimization program. You can kind of KPI this and track it and trend it over time. What's really cool about that is the savings number from all of these recommendations. Historically, the problem is that if you see savings from idle recommendations, and then you see savings from a right size recommendation, and then you see savings from an RI, you don't get all three of them. Because if you take the idle recommendation, you delete the instance, you're not going to reserve it. You're not going to right size it, right? So that savings number, if you tried to build a dashboard that pulled all the recommendations in, the savings number would be probably larger than your whole bill. So it's not terribly relevant. You can't KPI it. It's not great to build an optimization program on it. So in the cost optimization hub, we deduplicate all that. We remove all the savings from all the recommendations that conflict with other recommendations, and we only keep one of the savings from one of the recommendations for each resource. So if you have an idle recommendation, an RI recommendation, a right size recommendation on a single instance, it's only going to keep the idle recommendation savings. So that means that that savings number is smaller, but much more accurate and reliable, and you can use it to much more concretely say, this is a real savings number we can go achieve. The hub has been long time coming. I, there were so many tabs, so many pages you had to go into for all your data from the savings plans, compute, optimize, that you had to try to pull this data into a single thing, right? And visualize it. This is now allowing you to make it easier for the recommendations. I like that it's suggestion, the idle instances to remove first, because like you said, why would I purchase an RI when it says idle? Now, there might be some cases in it that it's an instance that will be used at certain peaks, but that goes to show that you should change your code and your application to support scaling and scalability 
that you don't need. And only in certain instances should that sit there and idle, gov cloud, everything that you kind of need. Yeah, for or, or turn it off. Turn it back yep, on when you it. need to eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of great tools out there and services to turn things on and off, right? You know, I'm putting the pieces together on this hub that ultimately funnels into FinOps for the visibility and the reporting capabilities in order to implement this and come back and review it daily, weekly, periodically Absolutely. on how you're doing it. That's that You nailed it. That's our vision. Our vision is that we're providing the tools and capabilities for you to do FinOps in the console. Um, now, we still love when customers build their own dashboards. We love our, our third-party partners that build even more capability on top. So that's great. All of this is, is available via API. All of this is available via export. So if you want a different console experience or if you want to combine it with other recommendations that you've created or other checks or anything like that, this is all available for you to continue building on top of. Okay, Rick, that isn't the only thing that has been built and announced here at reInvent. What else is happening? So in Compute Optimizer, um, we've, we've been hearing for a long time that the default recommendations are very conservative. We want more savings out of the recommendations. Uh, so we've been working on this for a long time because a lot of times, you know, you know, the survey data from the FinOps survey, right? Like the number one problem in the industry is getting engineers to take action. 33%. Yeah. It's 33% so to do it. I, I think this is the biggest problem I've been spending time on for the last 10 years. How do you convince engineers? Because it's, it's, it's difficult. You're, you're going to an engineer and saying, you sized this wrong. And they're like, excuse me? This is like, this is my, like, I'm the how expert. Dare you yeah, tell me exactly. I did so, this wrong. And then you have this culture war kind of going on where you're telling engineers that they sized technology wrong. But, you know, these IT engineers, I'm allowed to say this because I was an IT engineer the first 10 years. IT engineers are hard headed. They're protective of their environments. They have to keep five nines. They have to keep their applications healthy at all times because they're customers. Uh, you know, even their yearly reviews are related to uptime incidents, uh, latency, right? And so they are paid money and bonuses based on the health and uptime of their applications. And then you're going to come in and have a meeting with them and say, you size this wrong. First off, they're not going to really take that very well. They're going to say, who are you? You know, like, what do you know about IT? Like, what do you know about sizing things? So as we build Compute Optimizer, we're constantly thinking about this. It's, it turns into more of a psychological problem than it does an actual technical problem. So when we were building this feature of customization, what we're thinking of is not just how to give more capability to the user, but how to show how the engine works. How, does, how do we build a recommendation and deliver it? Because ideally, we have, we have science teams, we have engineers that have been toiling over this for years and years and years. Those, those people, those engineers that are using the recommendations, I want them to see that work. I want them to see how much blood and sweat and tears have gone into our products to build really great recommendations. So part of the value of this feature is that you can now adjust the recommendations and tune them to the settings you want. So you can add a little bit more buffer, you can remove buffer or uh, what we're calling headroom. This is like the extra CPU capacity you add on top when you build a recommendation in case utilization goes higher in the future, you can now tune this yourself. But what's really cool is we're now telling you what we were using in the recommendation for our default amount of headroom. This wasn't public information before. So um, 
really skilled engineers would look at a recommendation and they're like, yeah, but did you add a buffer? The answer is yes, we did. But we didn't have public documentation to tell people what that buffer number was. So now you'll see that we add 20% extra CPU capacity into every recommendation we, we generate for you. And then engineers go, okay, great. Okay, great. So if like I right size this and then utilization jumps, I'm still safe. So this de-risks the recommendation for me. I now, like I see what you're doing. That makes sense. I'm good to go. We also now have the ability to customize the CPU threshold. This is also, you can call this percentile, which you and I like know we've worked on things like this in the past. What this is, is like, it reminds me of when you, when you start up your laptop. Let's ask you a question, John. What happens when you start your laptop up for the day? Uh, the fan goes wild if it's uh, a different brand than my, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so everything gets loaded up in the memory. Yeah, I mean, literally yeah, so, everything that I had once open goes ready, set, go. Okay. So should you throw it away and buy a faster laptop because it hit hundred percent utilization? I should close applications before I shut down or restart. And then, no, there you no, go. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that would be one thing. Uh, no, that would okay, be very so, costly. So the, the whole idea behind right sizing, like the trick of right sizing to get it right. And, and this is where I spent like most of my career the last 10 years on is, is the sensitivity is you actually don't want to size instances based on CPU peak. Please do not do that. If you're building your own right sizing, I'm going to look at the camera. If you're building your own right sizing recommendation out there, please do not size to CPU peak. Okay. I just had to say that. <laughs> so, uh, what you, the right way to do this in, in my opinion, let me just state that. This is my opinion. The right way to do it is to remove some of the peaks from the data you're looking at. Um, and so we use five minute samples. By default, we're using 14 days of history. You want to remove some of the peaks for reboots, patches, maintenance, backup jobs. You don't want to size up for those activities. Those are normal, good, healthy IT activities that are, that are, we love it. So we have to remove some of the peaks from the data set. Otherwise, we'll always be sizing up all the time. That's not great. So we're now telling customers in the UI of, of Compute Optimizer that we are using 99.5th percentile by default for our recommendations. So now you can kind of do the math. You can kind of say, okay, 0.5% of the time we're removing the peak. And then you can calculate five minute samples, 14 days. Oh, that's 20 samples. That's 100 minutes. So we're removing 100 minutes of peak from the recommendation by default. It's pretty easy to pop up in the calculator, do that and say, okay, now I understand exactly what Compute Optimizer is doing. Now I understand that it's very conservative and safe. These are safe recommendations for me to go take. But now you can adjust it. Now you can go down to 95th percentile and you can go down to 90th percentile. These are really good options, especially for non-production workloads where savings is really important to you. Um, I probably wouldn't go down to 90th percentile in production, but these are options you now have to go save more money from right-sizing, uh, especially when you have really high confidence, you know exactly how you want right-sizing to behave. So this, this really helps answer the question, like, why are the default recommendations so conservative? They're conservative because we have a lot of customers. We have a lot of different use cases, a lot of different applications out there. We, our goal is to always provide recommendations that are safe and trustworthy. You can always take them without any performance risk. But now you can tune them. You can save more money from them. You have high confidence in what you want to do. Go ahead, go play with the, the customization settings and see what the results are. Rick, I think the features that you just talked about, the aggressiveness allows you to, as an engineer, 
kind of say play the what if scenario if i do this or that how much cost savings can i get the percentage uh utilization and i agree with you on don't right size off of peaks because if you ever look at a graph for it, the normal one say is like 10 percent, and it's going like this and then all of a sudden it's 99 percent uh periodically and that's some cases not the utilization of the business application that is normal usage of the OS and one is doing something, processing something, throwing it into RAM, you know, doing, you know, multi-threading, it's going to do those types of things. You nailed it. Yeah. Now, now, Rick, I've got, I, I got to wrap things up because there's so much information here and I we got to do a part two, man. We do. I, so I have two more features that we launched a compute optimizer. Can I get to them really quickly? Yes, you can get them really <laughs> quickly and it depends on how quickly you get to them. But let, no, I, let's share them now. Okay. And then we got to talk at a part two, not probably not in an awesome studio like this, but we will do okay, a part sounds two. Good. So uh, by default, the recommendations looked at 14 days of data. We now introduced a 32 day option. I saw that one. I saw the announcement. And it's free. This was awesome. Actually, that's a huge deal. Yeah, I, I love that we were able to build this for free. So I would definitely recommend everybody go and set it to 32 days. This, this more than doubles the amount of data and samples that goes into Compute Optimizer for every recommendation. Well, let me ask you a question. Why wasn't it changed by default? There to... are still times when 14-day makes a lot of sense. Okay. When you need recommendations that are fast-acting, and you, you, like as soon as that recommendation comes out, it's looking at a shorter amount of data. And, and so that percentile setting is even more set, sensitive because there's less samples. So um, a lot of times, though, you want that monthly data set for your right size recommendations. So I think by large, people probably are wanting 32 day. That's what I hear from customers as well. So I think a lot of people should probably should go and set that look back period to 32 days. And then the other setting um, that I would not recommend touching quite as much, but is still there for you if you wish, is you can now pick the instance families you want Compute Optimizer to, to consider moving to. And so if you have like certain instance families, or if you have really, really picky software that only likes certain instance families or is only certified or approved for certain instance families. You can say, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to turn off right sizing for all of these other instance families. And, and every, I want everything on R7A or M7A or whatever that is. You can go and, and pick and choose which instance families you want Compute Optimizer to recommend to move to. And can I pick the chipset that it's on? You, well, you can because you know, we launch M7A, C7A, R7A. Those are all the, the AMD a, instances. There you go. Yeah, I, was, and then, I was leading into that. With like, exactly. A means what? Yeah, AMD. And then you can also do like Intel for I or G for Graviton. So you can kind of pick and choose by processor type by the naming convention. And you can either select entire instance families at a time or pick individual sizes within instance families as well. So if there's like certain sizes you don't like or, or you have requirements for them or whatever, you can tune the recommendations. So this allows you to adjust how Compute Optimizer uh, builds recommendations and gives recommendations to you to remove any sort of concerns that, hey, these recommendations are for families we don't feel like we can take or, or use. And so our goal here is to increase the ability for engineers to take the recommendations by removing all of the reasons why the recommendations didn't make sense or didn't align to business criteria or something like that. All right, well, Rick, we, I got to wrap it up and we got to do a part two. I want to know, I mean, we're only here at reInvent. It's Wednesday, so we know there's more things happening. And by the time we do part two, there's even more and more things that's going to be released. I know you love talking about the subject. I love having you on the show, Rick. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. I appreciate being here.
All right, everybody, this has been another awesome episode and discussion around Faces and FinOps powered by our good friends at ProsperOps. Be sure to check out the ProsperOps blog and hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? Rick and I are out of here.